Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. I'm going to take you back to the acting side of things. Uh, you studied law at Cambridge, and you were on the verge of becoming a barrister, weren't you, when you chose to go down the acting route? Is that something you look back on and think that was the right thing to do? Well, I chose to go down the acting route when I was 13, but I didn't tell anybody until I was 25. Really. <laughs> um, and, and, I, mean, I, I, um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I just don't sort of like sort of announcing my ambitions before they've been realised somehow. It's just uh, probably a weakness. Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do what I'm doing at the moment, and, and uh, so, but I didn't know how to get into it. I had no background in it, and I knew I was doing lots of shows and things like that, but I never, never really sort of stated my um, intention to do what I'm doing at the moment, like professionally. But um, that's that's what I was doing all the time. So yeah, when I was doing my studies, so-called studies, when I was always doing shows. I I sort of was always trying to work out how I'd possibly get into doing doing the acting. Robert, you have to excuse me because most of my research has been done off your Wikipedia page. So if any of this is wrong, then blame Wikipedia. But it says on here that you, you made your professional stage debut age 26, which I, I would have thought was quite late there. Yeah, I made my stage debut. I mean, I sort of, um, 20, when was I? 20, yeah, I was about 20, no, 25, I think. Uh, it wasn't, yeah, it was that my, my, that was when I first, first thought I was probably, I could call myself an actor. I mean, I was doing shows and I was doing radio shows, um, uh, you know, for years before that and doing touring around with, with, with stage shows and, and, uh, things, but people I'd been, been at university with mostly and they were doing, we sort of toured Australia in 81 and, um, and I was, yeah, I was doing these, uh, as I was saying, doing these radio things and so forth. So, but then, then I got a, a, a job in, in the West End, in no- Noises Off in uh, Savoy Theatre. Spent a year uh, doing that. So I was at the end of that year, I realised I only had two words on my CV: noises and off. And so I thought, uh, you know, I've got to get on and do other do other stuff. But um, so yeah, I was, it, it was relatively late. 
but uh, you know that's it just it just takes the time it takes. You just sort of you know uh, take take the opportunities when they arise. You you were um, president of the Cambridge Footlights, weren't you? And you you mentioned some of your contemporaries in that. You've got some quite big names that were part of that setup in at Cambridge University. Uh, yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of people who um, went on and, and did things. A lot of people went on and did other other interesting things, like sort of you know, help build the Channel Tunnel and uh, go into all sorts of other other um, activities, which went to which people who were really good. Uh, student performers who went on and uh, did uh, things in other fields. Yeah, no, there was a number of people who went on and uh, uh, to do shows and um, a lot of TV and film and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there was you never knew who was going to come through and who wasn't. Uh, on my list here, Robert, Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, Rory McGrath and uh, Emma Thompson, which, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've all been on TV. Emma Thompson's obviously gone on and become a, a big movie star as well. There's uh, good company. Yeah, no, there were. I mean, we uh, we toured Australia. We toured Australia in '81 with um, Stephen Hugh and Emma and Martin Bergman, and we um, we called the show Botham the Musical. Uh, it was uh, it was it was before the time when any, everybody was calling things the musical, but it was um, we didn't know what to call the show. It was just a review of, of sketches and songs and, and so forth. And we had this Australian producer who was um, prepared to take us out there, and so uh, so <laughs> we we'd all been uh, most of us had been very excited in '81. Uh, by the uh, by, the test that year, and so to call the show both in the musical, it rather confused all the journalists in um, in in Australia. We used to do press conferences, and we lived like kings. I mean, it was we, we had this extraordinary producer who normally did uh, sort of pop, pop shows and uh, huge huge events, and he was taking us around as well. So we had all the all the same sort of PR that uh, his big shows had. And so when we had we did all these press conferences, they always kept saying, "Can we can we see the guy who plays both of them?" I said, "No, it's not actually about cricket. It's just a it was just a, a sort of a dig at." Uh, at what had gone, we said we, we were going to call it Kim Hughes, the batting average, but we decided that was a, that was provocative. <laughs> but um, it was uh, it was uh, yeah. But we, we, calling the show that was uh, was a confusion for for, for many people, but uh, we couldn't resist. Long chats about cricket with Stephen Fry because he's a, a big aficionado as well of the uh, the sport we love. Yeah, Stephen's a great, great, great fan, a great, great fan, and uh, I think he'd quite like to have been CB Fry or uh, his inheritance or, or his um, successor. <laughs> but he was you no, know, he's he's a very no, he's very knowledgeable. And uh, really, yeah, he like, and he likes them. He likes it too. Want to get your game the very best it can be? The future of coaching. Talk to a pro. Thirty-minute video conversation, video analysis from players at the top of their game. Video shout-outs. Get a personalised message from a pro. Great for birthdays, congratulations messages, a prank, or a simple hello. Visit MoonriseSports.com or go to Moonrise Sports on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Moonrise Cricket, let's play. You've got a very long um, sort of television and, and film history in front of me here, but I'm going to go through a couple. Um, the Blackadder, um, you're first on the list here, 19... 19- 82 it says the unaired pilot episode you were going to be well you were prince henry in that did you realize at the time i mean obviously that that never went to to tv but did you realize that that was going to be i mean blackadder is one of my favorite things of all time it was it was amazing if you'd uh, if you'd uh, managed to uh, get that aired and it had continued and you'd been involved all the way through that would have been some part wouldn't it what ifs woulda coulda shoulda i mean <laughs> yeah. you know, like sort of those isn't it? um yeah i know it was a pilot which um at, at the end of it, they um, they changed a lot of the cast, they changed the producer, they changed a number of things, and uh, got it right. I mean, you know, it was it was their decision to um, 
to 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 change it. I mean, I'd never seen that pilot, and um, but uh, and at the time, of course, it was a, a disappointment. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously going to be very good, and uh, but it, it it changed quite a lot um, in the after after that, and uh, yeah, the, the the writing team changed a bit, and the the style of it, and uh, so. Um, so yeah, no, I mean it was it was uh, I mean there's all sorts of things in your career which are full of some things which should have should have gone and some things didn't and opportunities that came and went and and uh, you just hope that along the way there's a percentage of shows which uh, which do work and uh, do work for you and uh, manage to you manage to be part of a success and uh, um, but along the way there's there's uh, you, you don't have to dig very far with with any actor's career and find uh, um, a raft of disappointment. So that's just part of it, and it's part of the stealing process that you need in order to have a have a career in 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 um, in, in art generally, but in acting in particular, there will be things which um, have some which have come off and some which haven't. Is James Bond another one in that list? <laughs> I mean, I auditioned for that. I mean, I, I, I was one of millions, I think, probably auditioning for that. I mean, it was uh, it wasn't. I wasn't even auditioning for it. I think it was an initial meeting. I didn't know how that, that seemed to have come out in in. Uh, in uh, in some of the publicities that uh, that are out there, but uh, it was a very minor event, and I don't think Barbara Broccoli remembers it very well. Um, I vaguely remember it going in and um, and uh, having a chat and then leaving. But um, it was uh, I didn't even get the chance to do a forward roll. I, you know, I didn't do any stunts in the uh, in the meeting in this hotel room. But um, so it didn't go very very much further than that. I quite like to have played the saint. I think. I, I mean, mm. I don't really. Uh, I don't think uh, stunts are particularly my thing. I think a bit of uh, ironic eyebrow I could have done. But uh, I don't think uh, too many of the other hijinks that Bond gets up to would have been my thing at all. As your career goes on and you get more established, I guess, does the percentage of roles you go for that are successful auditions increase or is it still the same amount? What kind of proportion do you go for that you don't get that you do get? Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, sometimes they come through as offers and sometimes uh, they go for for meetings and things. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's... um, I I haven't sort of worked out a sort of percentage. I mean, I... I, um, But... um, I mean, I'm very happy to read at auditions. I mean, I, some actors say, oh, I don't read. You know, you should know what I do. I think, no, no, I mean, it's much, much better just to uh, be able to see if the director, if you can take direction and uh, talk to the director and, and, and all that. So, um, yeah, you, it's, um, you're usually at sort of quite close to it if you're, um, but if, you're, if you have a meeting. So I wouldn't say that there's a, there's a percentage that I'm aware of particularly. Uh, and some, as I say, some come through as offers, some, some, uh, but of course everything's uh, shut down now for the time being. Mm. So everything's uh, very, very, very uh, sort of quiet for, as far as acting is concerned. I'm about to do a Netflix thing um, for about Munich 1938, um, which is the only filming going on, really. It's not, not that much. I mean, there's very little going on. So uh, I'm quite uh, glad to be doing that and filming out in Berlin quite soon. Okay, that's that, that's going to go ahead because I was going to ask you about COVID nineteen and the effect on the acting industry because every well it's it's affected everything, hasn't it? But how are they going to cope with that then in in COVID times? You're going to have to act from two meters apart, or it, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I haven't uh, started. I think they stick a Q-tip up up your nose every every day, and uh, they do an instant test. They have the facility for that. I mean, because it's Netflix, they can uh, throw money at it and do all the testing they need to do every day. Um, they can ensure their own work. It means that if anything happens in terms of um, shutdowns, lockdowns, and all that sort of stuff like that, they can uh, they can ride that. Whereas for independent film companies, uh, you know, they, they 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 can't get the insurance for for for, um, for their projects, which means thing, everything's on hold, everything's being put back. So um, yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't think I'm playing the um, 
the British ambassador in Berlin. I don't think he has any love scenes, so I don't think I'll be um, <laughs> uh, tested as, as to whether the um, we can have, have proximity. But yeah, you have to sort of work in bubbles and you have to work in transport bubbles and things, and they, and they do their best to um, to keep uh, everything in order. But um, we'll see. We'll see how, how it goes. And there must be a, a way they've got uh, which is going to make it work and uh, so they can uh, have the best chance of uh, being able to finish the job. A love scene with a polythene sheet between you would be a bit different, wouldn't it? <laughs> be a rather strange one. Yeah, it will be, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 yeah, I'm doing a uh, doing a doing a short film about um, uh, for with a, with an ex jockey, um, Nathan Horrocks, and he's uh, he's aware that um, there's been a lot of mental health issues in. Um, in, in 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 racing a number of uh, very sad cases and uh, so we're doing a short film um a sort of short drama um sort of tackling that issue but also just making it into a drama and and uh, we're going to be filming that so we've got to work out how to uh, how to do that with all the sort of distancing protocols so mental health is a is a really big thing isn't it i mean i i've i've had my issues with depression in the past i've said that before on the cricket budget podcast but yeah th- this summer has really you know got people talking about it even more haven't they and you know it's it's a, it's a hot topic and not a nice topic it's not and i think things actually and in this current i don't know when this podcast is going out but we're now uh, talking in uh, september late september i think it's um this this particular this new uh, bout of uh, restriction is going to hit people harder and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of damage, and um, I think people are going to, have to be very very strong somehow. Um, and there's all sorts of things. I don't want to get political, but uh, I think uh, there's all sorts of things which uh, are going to um, be very very challenging. And uh, and um, so I think I think we've really got to sort of look out for each other. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I my my summer has been completely different to the one I was expecting to have. I live on my own in a in a one bedroom flat and have hardly seen anybody over the summer. It's been glorious in the early parts of lockdown as well. The weather was fantastic, and I was expecting to be going to cricket matches and to sitting in press boxes and to doing all kinds of different things. And the world's changed, doesn't it? It's a, it's a very strange place at the moment. It, it is, and uh, I, I think it's a it's a real shame when everybody has to regard each other as to- potentially toxic. And uh, and it leads to a sort of fear and agoraphobia, and and uh, I think I think um, I'm in favour of rolling the dice actually, and uh, and um, just uh, anyway. So so I just think that uh, there's 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 the the, the corollaries, the, uh, the 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 knock on effects of of what's going on um, haven't been fully assessed, and uh, I think there's only sort of one tune coming out, and I think it's not really taking into account all sorts of other factors. The the cricket, as far as the cricket was concerned, I thought it was extraordinary the way that the the teams, or the, the ECB and the, all the other bodies, got got it together and managed to um, managed to get uh, games. And they had they were great games. I mean, they really. Mm-hmm. I was following them on on the radio and uh, some great twists and turns. Played in uh, an extraordinary competitive spirit, and and uh, they, uh, they must have been difficult to uh, to play to. to Almost nobody, or maybe they just drew drew on their county cricket experience and uh, <laughs> remembered playing to nobody. And uh, but uh, it must have been very odd. Uh, but uh, the games I thought were, were really good all the way through, all throughout the series. I, I spoke to a lot of cricketers during lockdown because they were very easy to get to. They had nothing else to do. That they were all talking about. Oh, yeah, we just got to make it happen. You know, 
this, this is what they do. I suppose it's like you as an actor. If somebody came to you during lockdown and said, right, we need to get this done, you'd probably do it, wouldn't you? And the cricketers, I think, were just desperate to get out there on the green stuff and actually do what they, they could do. But you, you can understand them you know, struggling a little bit through through that uh, those two test series when all they had was the cricket ground and the hotel room and then the cricket ground again. There was nothing in between. It's very difficult when you when you don't get any feedback. I mean, I did a... Um, I did a Zoom talk to some people, um, to an organization, and they wanted 15 minutes to chat about um, sort of showbiz and stuff. And so I, I, was, I was talking to people on mute. <laughs> and, uh, and I had my notes sort of just underneath the camera on the, on, the, on the computer. So I couldn't actually see them. I couldn't hear them. And it was a sort of very sort of, and I don't know how it went. You know, it seemed to, I, mean, I got reaction, but much later. It, 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 it must seem really strange because they, these people are playing, in, it would appear, in a, in a, in a vacuum. Mm. And uh, they, they, don't, they can't get the, sort of the, the buzz of the crowd. They can't, they can't play to that. They can't G themselves up with, with that. On the other hand, I was talking to a jockey. I did a, a piece in the oldie this week, this month, uh, about uh, horse racing. And I was interviewing a jockey. And I said, what's it like you know, riding to... Uh, Riding with with no crowds, he said. Actually, I quite like it. He said. He said, if you had a bad race, you come back. There's no one screaming at you. No one, <laughs> no one's flagging you off. <laughs> so you just get on with it and get on with the next race. Uh, so uh, there's, there's an upside to that, and you don't get the, the bird from the crowd. I suppose nobody's lost their twenty quid on backing you, and you've come fifth or something. It's, it's, it's a <laughs> well, exactly. You can't hear them. They're all at home <laughs> shouting at you on the. Day. I mean, I suppose the the obvious comparison for you is, uh, you know, you've done stage work, haven't you? And the the fact that I've I've heard a lot of actors say, yeah, that that's special because you do get that buzz. It's the adrenaline of doing something live, isn't it? I guess the theatre. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the theatre. You you know, at the end of the evening, how it's gone. And uh, if it hasn't gone well, then it's always tomorrow night. But uh, on telly, you, you don't know how things have gone until six months after the after you've done it, because that's when it comes out, and you can find out whether the audience think it's any good or not. Um, so yeah, there is that sort of immediacy in, in theatre, and I love that. I love that. I mean, I did. Uh, I was doing a show actually, whilst the um, in March when I had a show on, uh, which was due to run for twelve weeks, and we had to pull it after three because of the restrictions, and. Um, that was uh, that was really, really disappointing. But I, yes, I know. It, it, as all actors will say, it, a, a lot of actors actually hate doing theatre, and they, they they find it too. They find they haven't done it for too long. And uh, a lot of actors are sort of. I had a conversation with someone the other day who said she was doing a going to be doing a show next year and hadn't done it for ten years. And um, how could she cope? And in a sense, you just have to treat it, treat telly and theatre as exactly the same. You're just getting through to an audience, and you just got to work out where the audience is and make sure they can hear what you're saying. And, uh, and uh, land it with them wherever they are. On stage, it's it's, it's easier because you can take a, take the temperature of the room and uh, make sure that uh, everyone can 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 get the benefit. And uh, and you hopefully land it with them. And if it's a if it's a comedy, you know immediately whether it's working or not. And if it's a drama, you just listen out for the creaking seats and the rustling programs to tell whether you're anyone's listening or not. Um, there's various ways of finding out. There's a Dad's Army thing with a couple of your roles, isn't there? You you played John LeMessurier in the uh, TV film Hattie, 2011, I think that was, and uh, your recent uh, Dad's Army, The Lost Episodes, where you played Sergeant Wilson, which was John LeMessurier's character in Dad's Army. I, I loved Dad's Army, um, and I thought he was yeah. he was fantastic in that role. His timing was was yeah. perfect. Uh, that's quite a challenge to take him on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I, really, I enjoyed being. I was. I was given this part to play in the in this um, drama about uh, Hattie Jakes and John Lemez and and Hattie Jakes' lover 
in the, it was a real life story, and um, she she took this lover, and uh, and Lemez didn't didn't leave the house. He just moved into the spare room, and he went upstairs, and um, <laughs> it was ghastly for him. And then yeah, and then I think probably on the back of that, I don't know, but um, last year we did it was so enjoyable. I mean, I, when I heard about it, I thought, why? Well, what's the point of doing this? But it was it was to recreate three episodes of Dad's Army, which have been lost. They were wiped in 1968, the three episodes from the second series. And uh, in the BBC, we're, we're using tape again, and they just wiped over a lot of stuff, and uh, including these three episodes of, um, of Dad's Army, which have never been discovered. And uh, of the 80 episodes that were made for, of Dad's Army, these three have... Um, you know, fans of the show have it's often rankled with them that these um, these scripts the scripts exist and the and the photographs from the dress rehearsal exist but the actual footage doesn't so um, they recreated we built the set in at Pinewood Studios and got got in a an audience uh, for three weeks running and uh, the audience some of the audience were were members of the Dad's Army Appreciation Society in full uniform oh, and no the, pressure the there yeah. no pressure there at all I mean it was very strange because we we filmed each um, each scene twice. And each, the first scene of each of the episodes we filmed with a different audience, there was a sort of palpable sense from the audience of, oh, yeah, you know, let's, let's see what you're doing. And we weren't pretending to, to be um, sort of recreating it. We were doing a restoration job on it, in effect. And, um, and it went really well, actually. And people, people liked it. And they liked the spirit in which it was made, which was just because these aren't available, let's, let's, uh, let's bring the script to life, um, sadly, without the original actors doing it. I love playing Sergeant Wilson in that. Mm. Um, and. Uh, I think there is a difference between the character and the and the and the actor. So uh, I I sort of didn't think about Lemaire when I was doing Sergeant Wilson. I didn't think about Sergeant Wilson when I was doing Lemaire. When you were playing Sergeant Wilson, were you trying to mimic him playing it in the in the previous episodes, or was was it were you bringing yourself to that part? It had to be more. Um, yes, I mean I I I looked him very closely, and um, I didn't want to do it by numbers. I didn't I didn't want it to be about the about the impression. Uh, you just had to try and get the essence of of what uh, John Lemessurier was doing with Sergeant Wilson, and be faithful to that, but also make make it breathe, if you understand me, and 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 uh, make it seem as though it's it's happening without it just being a uh, a facsimile. Um, so yeah, there, there was a, there was a challenge there, but um, yes, I did. I mean, with with both the characters, I looked at the real footage of what they did. I looked very closely at uh, Lemessurier doing. Uh, his um, "This Is Your Life" when he did it and went on with Hattie and uh, Eamon Andrews, and so I, I studied that very closely for for the person, and then I looked at the Dad's Army stuff for uh, for him. And yes, and there were a few sort of gestures and, and uh, certain beats which um, I did employ to just to be faithful to uh, the way that John Lemessurier was playing the character. Listeners are learning a lot about my TV tastes here, I think, as we go through this. But uh, um, the last uh, acting mention, or the last uh, role that I was just going to mention there, Toast of London, Matt Berry. I think he's an absolute genius, that fella. Um, what was it like working with him? I'm glad, uh, James, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, Toast of London. I mean, it's it's one of those things, when I first read it, I read the pilot episode, um, I just thought, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It, is, it was one of those things, and, and the, it, was, it was so unlikely and so... So odd, um, and as a result of that original, um, it wasn't a um, it wasn't a, a, a sort of hybrid of, of anything else that I'd seen or, or read. And so, so it's very difficult to describe. And your listeners will be wondering what is Toast of London. But it, it's um, Matt Berry and Arthur Matthews who who uh, wrote half of um, um, uh, Father Ted and Arthur. They they came up with what is essentially a sort of spoof on 
on actors. Uh, and that sounds like a very niche show. And I wondered when, when we were doing it, I wondered whether it would, it would uh, reach further than just a, a few actors recognizing some of the things that they get up to. But it has a much, much wider, wider reach than that. Because uh, Matt is essentially a jazzer. I mean, he's, um, he's a musician and uh, he's art school and, and he's not, he's, 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 he, know, he understands and is amused by the, the acting world, but uh, it's, not, it's not sort of his background really. Um, and it often takes uh, an outsider of, uh, to, to satirize the, the, um, the world, the, uh, uh, an aspect of the world. And it takes an outsider of, of, of that, of that world to, to, to see what's funny about it. And, um, <laughs> he has these various other characters in it. I, I, it's very difficult to describe other than to say that in the first episode, and I play his uh, landlord and uh, a fellow actor, um, uh, is that uh, I had to have uh, I had to sleep with a Bruce Forsyth lookalike, and, and it's it's <laughs> it's having said that it's uh, it sort of set the tone for for the show, and um, and and I think it's the language of it is is, is you know, he's got this sort of skewed language in it, which is reminds me slightly of Joe Orton. I mean, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's it's mm. it's got that sort of odd phrasing in it, which he 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 does and does so well, and it's sort of taken off actually, and it's very it's big in. In the states, in a sort of culty way, and here it's it's big in a culty way. But uh, there are many millions of people who have never heard of it. But uh, it has got a very very um, fervent following. Yeah, oh, I, I recommend it, listeners. It's available, I think, to watch. You can stream it on on various services. So I think that's there to yeah, to, yeah, to delve into. We'll finish with a, a couple of cricket questions. Let's get back to the cricket part of the Cricket Badger podcast. Mm. One of the questions I I often ask players when they come on: if if you could change lives with another cricketer for twenty four hours, you could jump into their body and live, have their talents and live their life for twenty four hours. Who would you pick? I want to ask that same question to you. It doesn't have to be a current cricketer. You could go back into a, a, an older cricketer's body if you want to. But who would you like to have had the powers of and to play like? Oh, uh, that's really, really interesting. I mean, um, I, uh, I, if, who, would I, who would I want to be? I, I mean, I was adored Ray East of, of Essex. I yeah. mean, he was a left-arm spinner and funny man, funny um, uh, I gather, uh, and, and idiosyncratic and... and uh, Sort of free spirit, very. I mean, I remember watching him uh, when I was young. Watching him, and and he sort of dominated the pit, dominated the wicket. He was always up to sort of pranks and 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 doing stuff. I also loved loved his his bowling, and and uh, uh, so I. <laughs> that's. Uh, I mean, he was a, a a great county cricketer. And beyond that, uh, I would I would love to have been um, David Hughes taking on John Mortimer. In and the semi-final of the Gillette Cup yes. in seventy-three was it? I can't remember seventy-two or seventy-three. Around there, uh, when he took out twenty-four in the gloaming yeah. of um, of John Mortimer Moore in um, in the uh, semi-final at Old Trafford. I went to the final of that one actually, and uh, when when they beat Kent um, with Jackie Bond taking an extraordinary catch. So to be to be David Hughes uh, and to do what he did, I mean. <laughs> Which in, in the days before the Big Bash, it was yeah. the most extraordinary and brilliant innings. It was also the moment when Arthur Jepson, famously, was uh, the umpire. Do you, you know about Arthur Jepson in that match? He was. Uh, it was so late, and he didn't want to come back the next day. Arthur Jepson. It was nine twenty, <laughs> and it yeah. was. Uh, do you remember this? I don't know if you when when the uh, when the fielder said. Um, he couldn't see the ball, and 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 uh, the skipper of Gloucester said, "We can't see the ball, umpire." And he said, "Skipper, what's what's that up there?" And, and uh, the skipper said, "That's the moon." He said, "How far do you want to see? Carry on." And so it was it was really really very really dark, and the television didn't quite show how dark it was. 
But um, yeah, David Hughes in the semi-final of the Gillette Cup. That's who I'd like to take. I'd like to be. I'd like to transmogrify myself into him just for that time. That's that's a good answer. Uh, and that was in the days when you. I, I can remember the footage of that where the the crowd is almost sitting on the the edge of the boundary, aren't they? They're, they're really excited by it because of the, the state of the game. It was yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic moment. I love the crowd sitting. I love the crowd sitting on the behind the uh, boundary, um, behind the rope, behind the board, and. Uh, I just wish that could have happened again. I mean, you know, and and then having all the kids out on the outfield playing and uh, during the intervals, setting up their stumps. And now they do a sort of desultory thing. I mean, a sort of thing with sort of kids from local schools doing 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 exhibition stuff like that. But actually, getting being able to go out and see the see the wicket, walk out, inspect the wicket, and you know, nod knowledgeably about the cracks and 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 look at it. And um, I wish that um, people were allowed onto uh, onto the onto the ground without being accused of being terrorists. Uh, have you ever watched cricket in Scarborough? My mother was born in Scarborough, and she um, she met um, uh, Larwood. Uh, um, oh. um, as she said, she said. I mean, she was. <laughs> but anyway, so the Scarborough Festival. I've always wanted to go to the Scarborough Festival ever since hearing her stories about it. And um, so no, I haven't, and I'd love to go to Scarborough Festival. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert. When you when when you've got your deck chair at Hove, then take a week off and nip <laughs> up to Scarborough because it is well worth it. I think it's the for me anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit biased because I'm a Yorkshire fan, but the Scarborough mm-hmm. is the the best place to watch cricket in the world for me. Um, absolutely fantastic. And you do get Sounds great, um, spectators walking across the outfield and kids playing games in the intervals and, and what have you. When I was the media manager at Yorkshire, it used to uh, frighten me a little bit because you'd see the cricket ball flying off into the crowd and you'd, you'd hope that nobody would get hit. But the, it, it is a very, very special place. I'd recommend going to Scarborough to watch a game of cricket. Final question, Robert Bathurst. And thank you very much indeed for coming on the Cricket Badger podcast today. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I'm going to put you in charge of mm-hmm. world cricket. I'm going to make you the supremo and you can make one change to the game. What would you change about cricket to make it uh, more special, better, however you want to phrase it? What, what change would you make? Well, it's, it's, oh, right. Well, you've thrown this at me, but I would. my first reaction would be to um, uh, allow a batsman, if they've been uh, out cheaply, to, as they're walking back to the pavilion, to be able to take their bat and and swipe the um, steady cam operator camera <laughs> as, it, as it shoves it up at their nose as they walk out because there's nothing more dramatic than a, than a player having had a, had a scored a hundred or scored naught from the lo- the long walk either in triumph or despair and and it takes all the theatre out of the occasion to have this wretched spidery character of sort of uh, well the spider cam I'd also shoot down but anyway that's a second second uh, <laughs> second law. Um, but uh, I would allow the batsman to be able to um, to um, smash that lens, which is being shoved up his nose. There is such a thing as a as, as a as a long lens, a telephoto lens. They can do that, and they can they can carry it. They can take the drama from a, from a range. They don't need to be standing there with them. It destroys all the all the poise, all the theatre of the occasion. I used to think that when you know, in the Australian coverage, when they used to have the duck walking off the on the screen, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, I, I know it wouldn't be possible for the batsman to hit the duck, but I just thought it was really rude, almost that you were kind of just rubbing the salt into the wounds. Weren't you? Yeah, I mean it's cheap. I mean it's uh, so. Um, uh, I don't know when that came from. Was it a Packer thing or was it a? I think um, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe in that. But uh, no, I agree. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just think that you. Yeah, you just have to you have to allow the sort of dramatic poise of the occasion, and and cricket is an immensely dramatic game, and anything that undermines it should be stopped. Robert Bathurst, thank you very much for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, wish you all the best for the future. Thanks very much, James.
Social Podcast Network.